0: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're our ever present help, oh God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, God. You understand the deepest recesses of our lives. You understand the pain, trials. You understand those things that burden us. And you're really close. Thank you. There's not anybody watching this live stream or in this room that you're unaware of our circumstances. Father, I pray for Nigel and the family right now, the precious Williams family that grieving the loss of his dad. Thank you, Father, that you are the God of all comfort. Lord, this week as they walk through that difficult time of celebrating his life, but also grieving and missing him. Pray that you'll comfort them greatly. And as they offer help and support to Andrea's dad as well, who's terminally ill, Lord, I pray that you will just give them strength and refreshing and blessing, I pray. And Lord, so many needs, so many precious people, your children going through difficult times, Thank you that you are ever present. Thank you that you understand. Amen. Des, would you just share? I hope you don't mind. I've not preempted this, but something happened at the end of the first service that was, it took a little bit of boldness for you to step up and do something a bit unconventional, but it was God's way of letting someone know that, God deeply understood and cared for them. Do you just want to share that a moment?
1: Yeah. Um, it's funny how God works sometimes, right? Um, we, as, as Mark was preaching and, and Nigel was talking to me about, um. do you have a response song at the end? Because Nigel was, he wasn't talking to you, we were texting during the, the, the service. And I said, yeah, I'm gonna sing Sweet Caroline. Ha, 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 ha. Um, and as as the rest of the sermon went on, I was like, I was being really quite stirred. And um, I, I really felt God saying, no, no, no. You need to sing Sweet Caroline. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So as we came back on and Pete's looking at me and I, I went to the back of the stage and I was trying to work the chords out and um, we sang, sang the bridge and the chorus, Sweet Caroline. Bah, bah, bah. Uh, um, Glad I'm, it wasn't YMCA. And, <laughs> and um the uh yeah, it was quite overwhelming and a, a guy a guy I'd never I've never seen before and who might be watching this now, I'd I'd love to speak to you again if 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 you're watching him. Um, Guy came up to me at the end, um, overcoming tears, and he said, my, um, my dad's just been diagnosed. Um, he's terminally ill, and he's only got two weeks to live, and I've been really struggling. Um, but I came this morning anyway, and that's, uh, that, that song was our song. That, that's like, me and my dad, that's our song. And um, you've no idea how much it meant to me that you've just sang that. Good
0: that's, man. So, Des, well done for your obedience on that, because, you know, when, particularly when we're asked to do something that's not very religious, we all, like my first response is, God, but explain why. <laughs> but sometimes he doesn't. A lot of the time he doesn't. He just looks for us to trust him, doesn't he? And, you know, just imagine how different that story would have been for that man not having that personal reminder that God understood and he was with him right now if he had not stepped out and church let's trust God let's let's go with him and do you know what if that man hadn't come forward and Des never found out the answer to that story if maybe you would just been influenced by his playlist on the way into church this morning <laughs> rather than the spirit of God it's okay but we have to step out and take some risks, church. Some of you have been following Jesus for years. And you need to grow up. And start stepping out. And being bold. Because God wants to speak through his people. I'm not, I'm not God's voice piece. I'm one of them. But so are you. And you might not preach. You might not have the opportunities to dissect the scriptures and bring them in a privileged environment like this. But all of us have the opportunity to listen to the Spirit and to minister Him to the world. So come on, who's up for making an agreement that we're gonna step out in God? Come on, let's do it, let's do it. Because there are people, maybe not in this room, just in this room, but people that we'll encounter this week that need to hear your sweet Carolines. They need to be reminded that God knows and understands and cares for them. So well done, Des, for stepping out. And thanks for sharing that as well this morning. Brill. Well, it's a great joy to see you this morning. If if you've been coming for years, or if this is your first time with us, either online or in the building, we give you a massive welcome. And uh, we are a group of ordinary people that love Jesus and we absolutely know that He loves us despite the mess that we make of things. And He is so gracious. And we're in a series at the moment called More Than Enough. And this series is not just about sort of the provision of the practical things in our lives, although there is much need in our society. This is a bigger vision than that. This is God revealing that He is able to do even more and provide the meal on the tables or the roof over the head. This is a reminder that God is able to deeply minister and satisfy our lives for the things that our lives crave. And we've been looking at a famous psalm, probably the most famous psalm, Psalm 23. And I'm just going to recapture the first five verses of Psalm 23 before we look specifically this morning at one aspect of this psalm. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me. In the presence of my enemies, you honor me by anointing my head with oil, and my cup overflows with blessings." I'm going to specifically look at the first part of verse 5. It says, You prepare a feast for me, even in the presence of my enemies. Most of us, maybe all of us, if we had an opportunity to choose our environments, we may like to make our lives an enemy-free zone. We would like there to be no enemies, no opposition, no criticism, no persecution, no injustice. We would like there to be nothing in our world that could be regarded as an enemy. But in this psalm here that talks about the good shepherd, and we've looked over recent weeks how the good shepherd provides more than earthly bread. We've looked at how the Good Shepherd is everything that we need, and we looked at how the Good Shepherd deals with the fundamental nakedness of our lives. And this week, we look at how the Good Shepherd is a protector and a victory bringer in our lives. But it says in verse 5, not that he eliminates the enemies from around us, but that Even in the presence of our enemies, he places a feast before us. Now, it's really easy to imagine if you were sat at a banqueting table and in front of you were luscious foods and all sorts of delicacies, it would be really easy to imagine as those enemies surround you with their swords drawn or their guns pointing in your direction that you may be slightly distracted from eating when you see those people around you. But this verse doesn't suggest that there's a feast that is something we're struggling to digest because of the presence of our enemies. This suggests that the shepherd, the good shepherd, is so able to protect us. He is so able to be with us. He is so good that the presence of enemies around the feast make no difference to our enjoyment. We don't need to sanitize our environment. We just need to know that the enemy has no ability to harm us. And we can enjoy the feast. But how ridiculous does that sound? In no other circumstance in life would you ever be able to relax and enjoy the good when you're surrounded by the bad. But in maybe those environments you imagine, you don't have the presence of the Good Shepherd. And I'm going to draw your attention for these next few moments into who is our enemy. Because when you read that, there may be some names that you've put into that verse. There may be some people who have offended you who've hurt you who've discriminated against you who've been unjust towards you it may be very straightforward for you to say even in the presence of all of those things i'm going to feast on the goodness of god but behind all of those things the bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers there is a super enemy that comes against our lives and hollywood would have us believe, and folklore would have us believe, that this super enemy is a bit of a caricature image. In fact, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he tells within that a story of, the whole story is about the the demons um, having conversations and trying to trap people and trying to exert their ungodly influence onto the lives of people on Earth. And there's a conversation between Uncle Screwtape to Wormwood, and it says this, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help us. If there is any faint suspicion of your existence, if it begins to arise, in the human's mind, then suggest to him a picture of someone in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it's an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. And there is this comic picture in society that the devil, that Satan wears red tights as horns and holds a pitchfork and stars in pantomimes where everybody boos and hisses when he walks onto the stage. And because that impression, that image is left in society, it almost doesn't really feel like a serious contender. But I want you to know, and we're going to look at that is not the image that the Bible teaches of who Satan is. We're going to see what the Bible teaches that Satan is in a moment. But as long as we believe he's caricatured, we're probably not going to give him the serious credence that we need to. The reality is that you and I have an enemy, and the enemy wants to stop us feasting on the goodness of God. Let's look at what the Bible teaches about Satan. Satan is described in the scriptures as a special angel who at one time oversaw things that God had entrusted to him. Some will say it's the earth that had been entrusted, some will say the heavens, even the universe, possibly maybe the, the whole solar system. Paul writing in the New Testament, describes Satan as the prince of the power of the air. At first, his rule was a benevolent one, overseeing part of God's good creation. You remember last week we saw God said, it is good, and that was God's design. But something happened in Satan's heart. Something happened where he desired... Something as a created being that was for the creator, not the created. And we read in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 13, it says, How you are fallen from heaven. This is talking about Satan. Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven... I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And then in verse 14, he said, I will be like God. Isn't that interesting how similar that was to what we looked at last week when he spoke to Eve as the serpent in the garden, and he said, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. And then let's look to Ezekiel, chapter 28. And one of the challenges about many of the Old Testament, particularly the prophetic books, is that we tend to read stories um, chronologically, whereas in some of the prophetic books, sometimes it's referring to a king of the day, and an environment that the readers would have been very familiar with and then suddenly a gear changes and it talks about something that would have been um, bigger in its concept more than about that moment in time maybe prophetic so in the middle of isaiah one minute he's talking about the nations and about captivity and the next minute he's talking about jesus dying on the cross hundreds of years in the future and ezekiel starts talking about the king of tyre and then He goes on and says this of Satan in verse 13. It says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Listen. Satan is a created being. He's not not another God. He's not a rival of God in as much as there's any competition. He's created. And then it says, till iniquity was found in you, by the abundance of your trade in you became filled with violence within and you sinned Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. Not in any of these descriptions do we read of a, of a pitchfork-carrying, horn-headed, red-tight-wearing caricature, but we do read of someone who has been given power and beauty and splendor, but who is created. And we are shown that there was a self-serving ambition that grew within Satan's heart, and he said, I am going to become like God. Now listen, something really important. There is nothing that Satan can do that can shake the kingdom of God. Nothing. Uh Nothing. Let me find another way of saying that. Diddly squat. (laughs) There is zero amount of effectiveness that Satan has for the purposes of God. God is on the throne. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And nothing can change that. This is not some rival competition. God is sovereign and supreme and preeminent. He always has existed. He always will. And His will will triumph. But there is something that happens in life that if you can't get the parents... Go for the kids. If you can't find a way to break through, if Satan can't affect the kingdom of God and the purposes of God and the reign of God, then maybe he can start to pick on God's kids. Who are God's kids? You and I. And so there is a battle and there is a war. And if you're thinking that Satan is a cuddly character that just occasionally comes out of Halloween, then you are going to miss. In fact, your pockets are going to be picked because you don't even know there's a thief about. And God doesn't put these things in Scripture to scare us or to make us concerned, or have any concern about the enemy and his power and his role, he says it so that we know the triumph and the joy and the wonder of victory. We know, because God the Good Shepherd is more than enough, that he has prepared a feast for us, even in the presence of our enemy. Some of us, Um, did a Bible reading plan just a few weeks ago that had been put together by Smith Wigglesworth when he was alive many years ago, a man of great faith that was used by God mightily around the world in signs and wonders and miracles. And he tells a story in some of his writings of being woken up in the middle of the night, and he looks up at the end of his bed, and he sees Satan himself. Not one of his demons, but he sees Satan. And what did Smith Wigglesworth do? He knew that God had provided a feast for him, even in the middle of his enemies. He said, oh, it's only you. And he turned over and went to sleep. He didn't say, the Lord rebuke you, get out of my bedroom. This is, I'm a child of God, don't you dare come into my environment. I deserve better than this. just said, only you. You're not going to steal my joy. You're not going to steal my rest. You're not going to steal the victory of God. Because I know who I am in Christ. You see, that's the joy of knowing that the shepherd is more, the good shepherd is more than enough. And he places a feast, even in the presence of our enemies, not to tease us, but because we can confidently sit there, not with paranoia, not needing eyes in the back of our head, not looking around thinking, who moved, but enjoying the goodness of God. And it doesn't matter who surrounds us. It doesn't matter who is around us. And the song that we sing... When it feels like I'm surrounded, I know I'm surrounded by you, O God. I know that you are my refuge. You are my strength. You are my portion. You are my protector. You are my guide and my portion in life. You are my feast, O God. And I'm not going to let the enemy rob and pick my pockets because God has prepared a feast for me, even in the presence of my enemies. And my cup runneth over. Satan has a strategy though, and we need to acknowledge that he's real, and we need to be mindful of his strategy. And he's pretty predictable with his strategy, he's used the same strategy throughout history. First of all, let's talk about one of his characteristics, he's he's termed as the father of lies, he's a deceiver. He is filled with deception. He's one of those people in the conversation that probably, if he says something, the opposite is true. He is designed in his sin to deceive. 1 John 3.8 says this. He who sins is of the devil... For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he may destroy the works of the devil. Destroy. Not hinder, not hold back, not keep you slightly shielded, but to destroy the works of the devil. It was necessary that Jesus became one of us, God, the creator, the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the incarnation of God, came onto this earth to become like us, to be tempted, tested in every way. And it was important that he came and took on earthly form because this plan wasn't just to forgive you of your sin, but it was to destroy the strategy of the enemy that was running rampant on the earth. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death the apostle paul understood that even as new testament believers after this single act of god incarnate being crucified to destroy the works of the enemy That you and I are still involved in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 verses 10 onwards says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against the things of this world or the people of this world or the oppressors of this world or the neighbors who don't like you or the persecutors who say horrible things about you or those who traffic others or those who bring injustice we are involved against the struggles of the injustices but our battle is not against flesh and blood but it is against spiritual powers of wickedness in the heavenly realms it is against satan we are involved in a spiritual battle And there's no opt-out clause here. You either serve God or you serve Satan. Now, he won't say to you, oh, you're serving me, because he loves to be known as the caricature or to be the unbelievable person in the background. But I want you to know the Bible makes it really clear that there is a spiritual battle. And only Jesus is the one who can bring victory. Only the good shepherd can walk you through this life knowing the joy of there being more than enough to be a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Knowing our shepherd is more than enough. It requires us to know that we have an enemy. And these two powers that we have the choice of living under Let's look at another way that's described in Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3. It says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Any amens to that? We're a group of people that have been saved by grace. Amen. Amen. If you don't think that you have a good or righteous enough past to be part of God's kingdom or God's purposes or God's plans or God's church, then just look at the devil square in the eyes and say, you're right in myself, I don't, but I'm a follower of the good shepherd. I've been forgiven, I've been redeemed, I've been restored, I've been set free, and I'm a child of God. But we were once all dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. Paul goes on to say, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil. See, living in sin, obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Amen? Used to. Following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Revealed within this, and we see at other times that we're going to look at in a moment, there are three expressions of Satan's strategies to pull you away from the feast that God has prepared for you. To cause you to live not convinced that Jesus is more than enough. In one John 2, verses 16, it gives insight to this. It says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything else that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The father of lies will deceive us and tempt us in three ways. The first is a desire of the flesh, and I'll explain that in a moment. The second is a desire of our eyes, and the third is a pride of life. In fact, let's go back to the story we looked at last week of Adam and Eve to see that these three strategies were present in the first engagement that we see of Satan talking to humankind. We read in the garden, in in Genesis 3, it says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise... She took its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate also. Satan is laying on the temptation by lying. It's his nature. And three things we see here about the tree that caught Eve's attention. First of all, it was good for food, it was good. And pleasant to the eyes. And it was desirable to make one wise. These are the three strategies of the enemy. And he will deceive and lie. It says it appeared good for for food. And that's what sin does. Just prior to that, we read that God says over creation, time after time after time, it is good. He didn't say it appears good. He doesn't say I think it's good. He says it is good. And Satan here says, it appears good. That appearance is one of the biggest deceptions, and sin appears good. If it didn't, none of us would ever pick its fruit, eh? But we do, because for a moment we're seduced because of a desire of the flesh, a desire of the eyes, or a pride of life. It was the appearance And we read in John 10, 11, the verse after that famous one where it says, I have come that you might have life in all its fullness. Jesus is talking about the fullness of abundant life that you and I can have. And in the next verse, he is saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. Jesus had to come and sacrifice his life so that we could have his life so that we could have fullness of life, so that he could break and destroy the powers of Satan and these three strategies that since the beginning of Adam and Eve have had their puppet strings on society, and they manifest in fear, and they manifest in control, and the whole world is controlled by these three strategies of Satan. And Satan thought, if I can get Jesus to succumb to one of these, the whole plan goes up in smoke. And so we read that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, prayer and fasting. And when he was there, Satan tempted him in three ways. Interesting. They were the same three strategies. Turn these stones into bread, Jesus. Be good for food. Good for your body. Secondly, jump off the temple and all these angels will come to you. Wow, that will show the world who you really are. If, if they see all these angels coming, that will, that will be a feast for their eyes. Impressions. You see, some of our desires about looking good and having followers on Instagram and all those other social media outlets, that's not a new phenomenon. That's just another expression of an old temptation. Yeah. That's, a, that's another manifestation of an old strategy that the enemy has where we care about what other people see. And thirdly, the pride of life. Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this. You won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to do any of that stuff. You can have it. I'll give it back to you. These strategies Satan has been using time and time again. He wants us to say, I want it. I want to look good. And I want to be better and wiser than others. But Jesus didn't fall for any of these. In fact, what did he say? Turn these stones into bread, Satan says. And Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone. He wasn't quoting his own thoughts there. He was quoting the word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Throw yourself down from the temple, Jesus. It is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. Oh, Satan's now used two of his lifelines. Two of his tried and tested strategies that have worked throughout history haven't worked. He's got one left to go. Give you all this, Jesus. If you will bow down, if you proscuni on me is the Greek word. If you will love me. That's what Satan craves, you know. For all his hiddenness in the background and his deceiving of the world that he doesn't exist. He longs for worship. That's what started it off. I will become like God. He longs for people to love him, to worship him. But Jesus stood up to the third test he broke every strategy Satan could throw at him so Satan thought I'm gonna take you down I'm gonna kill you I'm gonna destroy you and he began to work in deception bring fears up among the religious community bring fears up among Judas and began to take him to a place where he would be crucified on the cross yes I've done it he did not realize That what was being nailed on the cross was every good strategy that Satan's ever had to keep men and women down. And at that moment, the liberation of God came upon the face of the earth. And now because Jesus gave his life, we can be free from every device and strategy that the enemy has ever thrown at mankind. And you and I, we now have a new and living way. We now have a new way of living. We have a way of feasting, even in the presence of our enemies, because the works of the enemy have been destroyed. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That is the reality. If you think this is just about being forgiven of a few sins, church, you completely misunderstand the power that's at work here. He destroyed the works of the evil one. He destroyed every chain that tries to hold you back. Every fear that tries to cause you to live your life in paranoia. The good shepherd says, I am more than enough. More than enough. And now we can live free. Or we wrestle Paul said that, didn't he? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's still an ongoing battle. And this battle takes place in our minds. Did you know that you can't be forced by the devil to do anything evil and you can't be forced by God to do something righteous? It's your choice. But i found that those choices are often encouraged by what I fill my life with. If you're Living a godless life, you are more likely to choose evil decisions. You know that. What you fill your life with, it affects you. And not just your life, but your mind. This is the battlefield place. Jesus overcame Satan because he knew that his mind and his life was filled with the word of God. Do you know, I'm not encouraging us as a church to get stuck into the Bible because it's a nice thing to do, because it makes you more respectable, but because you and I are in a battle, and if we want to feast on the goodness of God, we need to be full of the goodness of God. If we're going to win battles, if we're going to not be pickpocketed for the things that God wants, then we need to be filled with God's Word. And... Some of you, you're aware you keep losing things out of your pocket, spiritually. Feel like you get topped up and you leak. It's It's not so much leakage. It's robbery. And it's robbery because your life is not filling your mind and your environment with the good things of God. And therefore... You're an easy target. And this is not about one person being able to do something more than someone else. We're all children of God. We all have access to the same good shepherd. This is about you and I deciding with our lives that we're going to be filled with the one who is more than enough. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let the maturing of God's word find good soil in your life and let it be your meditation. Joshua said, do not let the book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you might might be successful in all that you do. Let the word of God permeate. Let him fill your dreams. Let him fill your desires, your ambitions. Let him fill your homes, your relationships. Our lives depend on filling our minds with God's word. As I come to a conclusion, there are sometimes I watch films and there's a moment that often happens in one of these disaster blockbuster movies where there's some teenage kid in the car and the dad, who's gonna be the superhero, says to his kid, stay here, don't move, I'll be back. And the dad goes out and begins his superhero antics. And you see the camera go back to the kid in the car who's taken his seatbelt off already, opening the door, and wants to be part of the action. And it often leads to more complications in the family. The dad now has to go and chase after where his kid has gone, and it causes all sorts of difficulties. And there are will, there's a will that God has There are things that he says, and I find that so often scrapes in my life often come about when I choose to ignore. But some are not ignoring, they just don't know what he's saying, because your mind's not filled with his word. And I want to encourage you, be sheep filled with the wisdom of the good shepherd. All of Satan's deceit was put into full effect at the crucifixion. But Jesus triumphed. He broke the power and the curse of sin. He now leads a redeemed people. The chains of our past are not attached to those who choose to live free in the victory of the cross. He is more than enough for us to live in victory. Finally, maybe the band could join me. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. If you've been carrying some rebellious thoughts, if you've carried independent thinking, if you've surrendered to the devices and the strategies of Satan's three tactics in your life, would you allow Christ to come and have a word with those thoughts, to wrestle them to the ground? and to bring them into obedience. Psalm 23, you, you, O God, you prepare a feast for me, even in the presence of my enemies. Let's pray together. Why don't we stand? Thank you, Jesus, for your promise to be more than enough in our lives. Thank you that we're children of victory. Oh, we've, we've not earned it, we've not deserved it. We're recipients. We thank you for the joy of having this table prepared before us. And I just pray now for all of those who've spent their time looking around in anxiety and paranoia at the enemy around them. You've not touched the food. In the name of Jesus, I pray that a revelation of God's triumph will capture your hearts that God's word will fill your minds that his truth will lead you forward and that you will know Jesus is more than enough maybe there are some things that you need to repent of oh I'm sure there were extenuating circumstances I'm sure there were influences there were difficulties you went through that just caused you to be influenced in such a way, but the reality is repentance is taking responsibility. And when we take responsibility and we say, God, I'm really sorry, I'm gonna turn around and do this, not the way of the world, not the way of the enemy, but God's way, there's power. We become aligned with the victory of the cross. We turn around from a walk of defeat to a walk of triumph. That turn needs to happen, and repentance is that turn. Maybe there are some things, some, those three strategies you recognize in your life, and you need to repent. Just say, God, I'm sorry. He's faithful to forgive us. And maybe watching online or in the room, you've never received Jesus. You've never welcomed the good shepherd into your life. You've never received his forgiveness. But this morning, you can. You don't have to go through a course or work anything up. This morning... His grace and forgiveness is here for you. The Bible says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you will ask the good shepherd to become your leader, your guide, the one who teaches you, he will lead you. But first it takes a sorry for going away from him. I'm going to pray a simple prayer if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior as your good shepherd. Pray this after me quietly in your heart. And it goes like this. Jesus, I thank you that you love me. You've always loved me. And I'm sorry I've left you out of my life. I've gone away from you in so many ways and I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. Everything I've said, done, and thought that's not been of you, please forgive me now. And Come and fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. Set me free. I wanna follow you. I wanna feast on your goodness. And I wanna live for you, in Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer for the first time, you can talk to one of our online pastors or in this room, come and speak to one of us afterwards, and we'd love to help you. But Lord, I pray this beautiful church, this wonderful community will know the freedom Of the Good Shepherd and enjoy the feast of the goodness you've laid before us in Jesus' name.